G'day, welcome to another edition of the Authorised Podcast, the podcast where writers speak. Today, I'm speaking to Debbie Kruger, and you'll find out why in just a moment. Terrific book that she's got out. Uh, But first, a reminder about uh, our fabulous podcast partners. They are CSCG. They're the people that will help you manage your money, help you work out uh, what's the best thing to do with your money, uh, help you achieve your financial goals. Sit down with you and set your financial goals and then help you achieve them in all the very many aspects that they can help you with, whether it is superannuation, whether it is tax, uh, whether it's insurance, whether it's starting up a business, whether it's doing a, a health check on your business to make sure you're getting out of it what you should. They can help you with all those things. It's a one-stop shop for everything you need uh, in your financial world. So give them a call on double nine seven four. 8333, jump on their website, cscg.com.au. They are great people. Debbie Kruger wrote a good book and it came out originally in 2005. It is called Songwriters Speak and it is an absolute beauty and it is a, a testament to the talent that we have in this country, that we have produced as songwriting talent in this country, uh, how it has gone overseas, uh, many much of it, to, to be enjoyed by the rest of the world but how we really should celebrate some of the names and the people that uh, Debbie has spoken to in this book uh, unfortunately, about uh, I think it's about eight or nine of them now have passed away. Uh, but she spoke to Chrissy Amphlett. She spoke to John Farrah, such a key part of Olivia Newton-John's success. Glenn Shore, Graham Goble, Garth Porter, Richard Clapton, uh, Johnny Young, Rolf Harris, believe it or not, uh, Sharon O'Neill, Steve Kipner, uh, Midnight Oil. Oh, they're all in there. This is a treasure trove of uh, stories about the songs that, uh, that you and I grew up listening to, and it's the story behind those songs and the people that wrote them. It's a fabulous book. It's called Songwriters Speak. Debbie Kruger wrote it. It's just been re-released. It is available uh, through songwriterspeak.com, the website. Let's find out all about it with Deb. The, the motivation to go back and bring it back out again, what uh, what prompted oh, that? I'd always wanted to bring it back out. It, it went out of print prematurely because of a mishap with the original publisher um, and the distributor accidentally pulping boxes of my book. It's almost like a, and, a, a George Orwell situation, right. <laughs> having your book pulped. Yeah, it was a bummer. And, um, you know, the book had been, you know, marching on. Everyone, it was it was out there. And I, that's what I wanted. I just wanted the book to be out there in perpetuity. But because my original publisher had folded their business um, and in Australia being such a small market, one publisher isn't interested in republishing a book that they didn't originally publish. So it just languished and became a collector's item. And then people would say, why don't you put it out as an ebook?" And I was just like, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) So finally, finally, um, an old mate of mine came along. He's got a little boutique label. He publishes books on a print-to-order and ebook basis, and he said, I can get this set up for you. Let's do this. Let's get this book back out there. And so it happened, and I'm really, really pleased, particularly because there were always people in countries outside of Australia who were interested in the book because of the content because there are many songwriters that are internationally famous and now anyone anywhere who can get on Amazon or whatever their local um, online retailer is and they can buy my book. How, um, uh, from your point of view, how how well do you reckon it's travelled in that 
20 years or, or so since it originally came out till now? In terms of its relevance? Yeah, and, I, I think um, it's travelled really well because they're timeless stories about timeless songs in many ways. Thank you. And as I um, wrote in my brand new forward, um, I think that they I was always interested in the historical perspective, so I had interviewed mainly songwriters who'd already had lengthy careers, and now even more so I, I feel that this is a work of historical documentation of conversations that took place in particular times um, when these artists, these composers, songwriters didn't necessarily know what was ahead. Some of them went on to bigger and better things. Some of them suffered incredible personal tragedy. Look at Nick Cave. Mm, and yeah. yet has been, has been more productive and prolific than one could imagine given what he's been through. Um, I just, I just think that a book of conversations of Q and A interviews, um, is a, is a, a work of historical import. And so I'm really proud of it. I'm really, really glad that these, because nobody else has done this mm, on yeah, Australian no, exactly. New Zealand songwriters. It's just too mammoth a task. And so um, there were people at the time, including some of the songwriters like Jim Magini from Midnight Oil, who said this. it's really good to have a work like this in the national estate. And so I'm just grateful that it can now go on. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you start the, the first chapter is, is Joy McKean, who unfortunately passed away just recently, and, and to have to read, to read the story about Lights on the Hill and about uh, the whole relationship with Slim and the way they went about it is just fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, in fact, the day I announced the re-release yeah. was the day that they announced jo- Joy's death. Um, and they'd already announced, you know, it had already been an- announced that Rolf Harris had died earlier that week, although he'd apparently died a couple of weeks before. And um, and we'd lost, you know, Tina Turner as well and Terry Britton, one of her yes. prominent songwriters and producers, is in the book as well. It's his birthday today, in fact. Oh, okay. He's 70, there you go. See, Terry, Terry, Britton's, Terry Britton's one of the ones that you've got in the book that I reckon is really important because there's so many people who don't know what Terry did. Uh, I might know a little bit about the Twilight stuff, but post the Twilights, uh, because he went and, you know, became a very, very, very good songwriter, uh, a lot of people don't know because they don't look at that. Uh, I mean, basically he was he was responsible for making Tina Turner sing her career. It went from, you know, you I know. know. what we celebrated just recently when she passed, but he was an enormous part of that. He was. He was pivotal. And similarly with the resurgence of Cliff Richard as a bit of a rock star in the 70s with yeah. Devil Woman, yeah. Terry's just so modest. <laughs> you know, he showed me all his awards, his his Grammy and his Ivan Novello and the best awards you can get as a songwriter. And he said, I don't really think of myself as a songwriter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, amazing. <laughs> Was that was that sort of what came through a lot with with the, with the people when you sat down and spoke to them? Is is there uh, that they're not uh, you know uh, outlandishly you know sort of talking themselves up? Not all of them. Um, conversely, another songwriter, not so much known for um, the huge body of work behind other artists, is Steve Kipner, 
you know, who was part of that Australian rock history with uh, Tintin and, you know, best mates with all those guys like Darrell Cotton and everyone. And, of course, wrote physical for Olivia Newton-John. But Steve, you know, was very proud of his output and I've interviewed, I interviewed him twice around that time, once also for the National Film and Sound Archive, and he'd always show me the the sales, the charts, that he he loved quoting his success and good and all power to him because he was quite revolutionary in the way that he wrote for other artists and thought of himself as a a song, what's his term? It was more than just a songwriter. He would produce, he would it would be a whole package for yeah. an artist. Yeah. Um, but then you've got the extreme modesty, even more than Terry, which is John Farrah. And I just looked at him and said, you wrote, you're the one that I want. Full stop. That's it. It, I mean, seriously, who doesn't have that song imprinted on their psyche for, for all of life? One of the things your book does is, I guess, in many ways, for a lot of people, will bring to light just how prolific, um, and how successful the songwriters in this country have actually been, uh, which is something we we don't kind of have a handle on, to be honest, and we don't wear like a badge of honour, but we should. Well, I have not. I'm probably one of the few Australians because I moved, I came back to LA where I'm talking to you from just a few days before the Farnham documentary was released, so I haven't yet seen it. But I've asked a lot of people who've seen it, you know, how much about it is is about the songwriters behind it, about Todd Hunter and Joanna Piggott, and and they said no, not so much. <laughs> you know, it's about John and it's about Glenn, and and okay, fair enough. But absolutely, I just a few weeks ago I went to see Ringo Starr and his All Star Band at the Greek Theatre, and there's Colin Hay, who had the best voice of anyone there, and whose songs were actually the best known other than, of course, the Beatles songs. To hear an audience in Los Angeles singing to Down Under and Who Can It Be Now, it was fantastic. So, yes, prolific and, and you know, since my book came out, social media has been a thing. There was no social media in 2005. Mm. So the full extent of how widely a lot of these songs are known and, you know, when I'm living over here, there's Little River Band on the radio all the time. Or Graham Goble, <laughs> oh, my God, you know, reminiscing lady. His songs are on the radio, on classic hits radio all the time over here. Every now and then I'll hear a Midnight Oil song on radio here. Yeah. I don't hear Nick Cave on radio, but his three shows in L.A. have sold out for October. It's really gratifying to have done a book like this and know that it is bigger than just Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. I mean, Neil Finn, he just, you know, he only a few years ago he was touring as part of Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. On top of his own huge body of work, Crowded House have been touring here. Yeah, it's fabulous. Take us back when you decided who was going to be in the book. How did you how did you work out who you wanted to talk to and and did anyone knock you back? Yes. And yes. I actually had a list of about a hundred songwriters because wow. I had been working. I had been working at APRA as their communications person, so I had access to lists of songwriters. So I just put together my wish list, and then it became obvious that that would be 
impossible for one book. And I think I went to the publisher with 60 and we ended up with 45, but because some of them were doubles like Martin and Greedy from Mental as Anything and Rob and Jim from The Oils and Darren and Daniel from Savage Garden, it ended up being 40 chapters. Greg McCainish turned me down from Skyhooks. He's the most obvious one that isn't in the book. Well, he was one of the first I approached, but he wished to be paid. Oh, okay. Hmm. And ACDC did not turn me down, but their people prevented me from getting to them. Oh, yeah, okay. Which was a shame because ultimately it was the same people that looked after Vanda and Young and made sure that I got George Young as well as Harry. And nobody got to George Young by then, and I did. So the ACDC thing was disappointing because they are commercially the most successful songwriting exports. You know, it's arguable whether that's an artistic merit, but commercially, in terms of their touring, the number of people that have bought their albums, I thought, and and, and mutual friends of theirs said Malcolm particularly would have really wanted to be included because to be taken seriously as a songwriter was something that he felt had not happened. Chrissy Amphlett said to me during our interview that it was really important to her to be taken seriously because she believed she was a songwriter first and foremost and that nobody had done that before taking her seriously as a songwriter. So we, she was very appreciative. Um, And most of the, James Rain. He was actually the first person I cold called whom I didn't know and I just thought, who will I, okay, pick a name out of the hat, I'll call James. And he said, oh, sure, come on down. And then at the end of the phone call he said, thank you for considering me. So it was quite clear to me that despite all the great work APRA was already doing to get recognition for songwriters, that a lot of them just never felt appreciated and considered because Australia has always been very focused on pop and rock stardom. Very much so. They have a King of Pop award and, uh, you know, the way we've, the way our whole award structure is, it's, it's not based around uh, the song of the year, it's based around the, the rock artist of the year or the pop star well, of the year. And I will stick my head out because I'm working on a book about Sherbet, so I can say this, okay. but Daryl Braithwaite is now best known for a song written by an American songwriter, Ricky Lee Jones. Yep. Why Horses has become a national anthem, a theme song for the Melbourne Cup and so on, I'll never understand because nobody actually understands the origin of that song. I, I had been fascinated by songwriting and songwriters from when I was a young teenager. Yeah. I just, you know, I was the I was one of those kids that got the album, sat on my bedroom floor, poured over the liner notes, poured over them. I was listening to an album today or yesterday for the first time, just an American artist, realised how much I miss listening for the first time with the lyrics in front of you. It's so much harder to hear the lyrics as they're intended to be heard with the way music is delivered these days. Yeah. Uh, and the lyrics are intended to be heard. That's uh, that's what, what songwriting is all about, is is actually hearing what the person's got to say. I mean, as you rightly say, songwriters speak and they do and they should be heard, not just lost in the wash of some production whiz who decides to, you know, put 
75,000 keyboards over the top of it all. Was anyone feisty with you when you when you spoke to them? Well, feisty might, maybe that's the right word, or maybe let's just say incredibly annoying and difficult. And that was, that was um, Steve um, Cummings. Yeah. Oh, my God. Steve's yeah, incredibly shy. He, he's, he's a very shy human being. A lot of people get on fine with him and have great interviews with him, but not me. God, he would. But, you know, it was a long time ago now, but he was a pain in the ass, really. I mean, you know, I, I wanted him in there. I loved the sports. I loved those songs. I thought he was brilliant and clever, but he was difficult. Feisty, no, um, Everyone that agreed to do it embraced it, particularly people I thought might be difficult, like Nick Cave. He loved it. Yeah. He had three amazing hours. I, I loved my interview with Nick. Yeah. No, you know, somebody like Tim Finn, who just everything he said sounds like poetry to me. I remember sitting there with him and, and you know, when you're interviewing someone, and I know you're doing it too, you're already thinking of what you want to ask next or what this could segue into. It's really hard to hear without your own mind talking at the same time. And all the while Tim was talking, I was just saying inside my head, please, tape recorder, don't break down on me. This is so quotable. This is so quotable. Oh, my God, that's so quotable. How am I ever going to edit this interview? I just think he spoke so eloquently and beautifully and fluidly and um, it was a joy. It was such a joy. Don Walker also. Yeah. Nobody was particularly difficult except, bless him, Stephen Cummings. And, yeah, you're right, he's shy um, and very self-contradictory. He just kept contradicting himself, but I would call him out on it. So it, if you read it, or at least if I read back on it, I think, well, it's kind of entertaining because yeah. <laughs> there's a sparring. And that's why, again, why it's a Q&A. You want to try and get a sense of what that dialogue really was like you want to be like a fly on the wall and obviously they cleaned up they're edited take out the ums as well (laughs) I wasn't afraid to disagree with somebody yeah like when I suggested to Don Walker that he was fond of a minor key or that you know he was fond of kind of dark subjects like incarceration and he would challenge me on it and then I would quote the songs to him yeah yeah, well well okay that I wrote that in a bad night (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the idea to do it as a and a was that because you wanted them not not to be their words not to be interpreted again as they are when they when they write them as songs so many times they're interpreted by you and me and whoever we take our version of what what we think they're trying to say whereas in this in this format that you've done the book in that there's no interpretation of what they say they say what they say was that a, a conscious yeah. point from 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 you yeah, I wanted them to be conversations and I wanted them to tell their own stories. I wanted them to be speaking. There was one publisher that wanted me to present these interviews in narrative form and I just said, no, that's not what this is about. I will write an introduction to every chapter to set the tone and that will display my narrative skills. But beyond that, it's about the art of the interview. How do I ask a question that will evoke a response that is illuminating to the reader? Also. I've never been embarrassed to admit that I based this book on a fantastic American book called Songwriters on Songwriting by a writer named Paul Zollo, who's now done three volumes. When I read his first volume, I read it from beginning to end in the order that, in the sequence that it was presented. 
And I, it changed my life because that I'd been writing and interviewing people for many years prior to that. And some of those interviews were fantastic, but that taught me the art of the interview. And so the book was very much modelled on that with his blessing. Yeah. Uh, if you made this book today in terms of if you were you were starting this book and this book was coming out as a brand spanking new book that you'd just done, you would have a podcast series, you'd have a 75 other different social media platforms that this is on. What what are your plans with with the material you've got and uh, and the information and all the stuff that you have now heading into the future? Uh, with well, you know, that's a great question. And, and so many other people have come and done these podcast series on songwriters and things. And at the time, some TV producer came along and he, we were developing a project and then that kind of went away. Obviously, an audible is not possible because without doing it in the voices of the songwriters, it's just to me not authentic. And some of them, eight of them now are dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, which is which is a great know, thing that you've got them in the book, but a sad oh, thing that a sad thing that they're gone. Yeah, and truthfully, although I didn't agree with Greg McCanish's lawyer esque view that he should be that songwriters should be paid. I wouldn't be surprised if some of them would want to be paid for their time to sit and record. And, yeah. I, you know, I would not be in a position to do that. And it just wouldn't be the same to get actors to do it. I, I think more because I'm such a retrospective kind of woman and, and look back and I, I just think of the songwriters that should be in there that aren't and I really wanted Barry Gibb. Yeah. And it wasn't that he said no, it was that his person, his personal manager kept blocking it because there was always a reason. Morris had died, Barry wasn't talking, too busy. But I honestly think that there is, he's done many interviews and there's that fabulous documentary, but for someone to sit and ask him questions like I would have asked him about specific songs. Yeah. Oh, I remember one of the many Bee Gees documentaries Tim Rice was talking just about the song Tragedy and about how perfectly constructed it was. And, you know, I, I just think that Barry and his brothers are among the greatest of the greatest, greatest songwriters in popular music that have ever and will ever have lived. Mm. Um, so I think about Barry and I and a few of the others that, you know, I would have liked or, or would include if I was offered a deal to do an enlarged version, I would love to put Keith Urban in there and Rick Springfield and maybe Missy Higgins to, you know, because there still aren't enough female songwriters out there with a with a, a solid body of work. But, you're, look, if you've got any ideas, Kev, let me know because <laughs> <laughs> it really, the, the thing with me is I'm a writer, I, I'm, a, I'm a talker, I'm not necessarily a great kind of technical whiz and and production person that would have. I shouldn't say this because I should. I should just figure out a, a way to exploit it further. It's it's a work I'm just so proud of and um, had just learnt to live with the fact that it was gone. Yeah. Other than in you know whatever copies were out there and and it's really exciting that people. Can get it. Now. Have you been surprised by the uh, the reaction? Because I mean, uh, everyone seems to have jumped on wanting to have a chat to you about it. Because because as you quite rightly say, no one's done it before or since, and it, there there is a, a massive vacuum of, of Australian 
musicians explaining about their and, and talking about their music. Mm, I'm I'm thrilled. You probably saw Andrew McMillan's incredible story in the Weekend Australian when it came out, and yeah. that for a music writer to write like that about another music writer is extraordinary. And I'm so grateful to him for making it a very personal story about how we met and how he got his hands on a copy of this impossible to get book. And yeah, it's been great. And I, you know, I've done a podcast with um, a podcaster here in America, who's who, Stacey Wilson, whose dad, Don Wilson, founded The Ventures. Oh, right. You know, the oh, right. the yeah. famous, yeah, and she made a documentary about, about his band. And you know, I've been thinking about whether there's something I can maybe do over here with Colin when he gets off the road with Ringo or with Steve Kipner, you know, a bookstore appearance or something because there's interest here yeah. in this kind of songwriting. So as well as the stories, you know, behind the bands, it's it's pretty well known over here that the Little River Band that tours around America is not Little River Band. Thank goodness. Um, Thank goodness people actually know that. Good. Yeah. And um, when I saw Midnight Oil here at the Greek Theatre in 2017, again, it was, you know, there were a lot of Aussies in the crowd, but the, I, actually the Huda Gurus were here in May and that was an incredible experience to see all those diehard American fans who knew all those deep album cuts that I didn't know. <laughs> Dave Faulkner should have been in the book. Yeah. I, I, if I could rectify a few things, that would be one of them. Yeah, there were a lot of songwriters. You know, it's great that we do. We have, you know, I grew up on that music. I grew yeah. up on this music. Yeah. My first my first favourite Australian song was Cassandra by Sherbet. Yes, I, I saw that in the, uh, in the notes in the book. Uh, interesting Sherbet song. Oh, come on. Even... I Even like Sherbet. I'm, I'm, I'm an unashamed Sherbet fan. Good. Even Bernard Zool, you know, who can be cynical at best, thinks Cassandra is a brilliant pop song. Yeah, no, so, it is. It's a great um, pop song. Garth and Clive, Garth Porter and Clive Shakespeare really had a, a certain magic. And the story about Sherbet that I've been working on for three years now, oh, my God, it, there's, there's a lot behind that band and those songs. Oh, and, yes. A lot more than people understand. They were, they were hardcore rock and roll, and they led the life. And Clive was a very enigmatic and interesting character. So it's taking time to put this together. Okay, we, we, we it, I actually spoke to Tony Mitchell a, a couple of months back. We had Tony on, had a chat. I heard talk, that talked about him talk, well, writing. How's that? And how that riff came and all that sort of stuff. So you know, they're an unashamed fan of them. And of Daryl, obviously. Um, Tony uh, loves the chat. Daryl doesn't remember that much. <laughs> but, you know, I've spoken to all their road crew. Yep. Their record, their producers and engineers, wives, girlfriends. Oh, good stuff. And, and more. Oh, I look forward to that. Uh, is that. Is that the current project and the next project we'll see from you? That's one of two current projects. Yeah, it's just it's taking its time. I'm not one of those authors that, churns books out. I completely admire those guys that do. But I, you know, Songwriter Speak was a four-year project and yeah. two years, two years of that was full time. And I traveled a lot to do many of the interviews. Yeah. Whether it was England to see Terry Britton and 
and Rolf Harris. <laughs> we haven't talked about that. I guess we're not going to. And uh, and Nick Cave, and Darren Hayes was living in London at the time. Or whether it was just up to Mackay to see Graham Connors, the great songwriter, songwriter, yeah, who uh, all the songwriters and country music fans in Australia know and love the greatness of Graham. But did they get to drive his ute? Because you did. I drove the ute, took it to Airlie <laughs> Beach, parked it, went on a day trip to Whitehaven Beach and drove the ute back. <laughs> there you go. Not in, not in the job description, but uh, hang it, do it anyway. I'd never put diesel in a vehicle before. Yeah, it was, there you go. It was, there you go. <laughs> hey, listen, congratulations on the book. Thanks for spending some time to have a chat about it and I hope there's many more to come. Kev, you're, you're really kind and thank you so much for your interest and for having a good read of it and, and thank you for having me. A fabulous, fabulous book about uh, the songwriting talent in this country. As Deb mentioned, there's uh, so many more. Uh, the uh, Volume 2, I'm sure, is going to be on the way at some stage. But songwriterspeak.com is where you can uh, get uh, more details if uh, that didn't fill it in for you enough. Uh, have a look at all the people that, uh, that Deb has spoken to in the book. And uh, she hasn't missed many, I can tell you. There are some absolute beauties in there, some great stories about some uh, pivotal songs in all our lifetimes. So check that one out, songwriterspeak.com. Thanks to Deb for being on the program. I hope we uh, hear much more of her in the future and read much more of her stuff in the future. But thanks also to my podcast partner, that is CSCG. If you want to sort out your finances, just give them a call. Double nine seven four eight triple three. They will help you out. CSCG.com.au. Till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Read a book. It's uh, good for you on these uh, on these wintry nights. It's lovely just to curl up with a book uh, and uh, and enjoy. It.